Chapter Twelve of Old Friends and New Fancies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Zainab on twenty fourth May two thousand and fourteen, Dubai. Old Friends and New Fancies, an imaginary sequel to the novels of Jane Austen, by Sibel G. Brinton. Chapter Twelve. Elizabeth and her husband desired Georgina's return as much as she did herself. But Lady Katharina had been very urgent that her niece should visit her, and they judged it right, that she should take the opportunity of going while comparatively near Rosings. Georgina had never before stayed there without the protection of her brother's or sister's presence. But she found it to be less alarming than she feared, for her aunt was probably disposed to be more complacent and less dictatorial to her than to any other living creature, and while not comprehending her niece's character in the least, wished to make her happy, if it were possible to be happy, in the best Rosings manner. So Georgina obediently played the piano, joined in games of quadrille, drove out with her cousin in the pony chaise endured her aunt's admonishments and listened politely to lady katharina's long stories about her own youth and the time did at length pass away though not until she had many times decided that london even with the agitations that it had afforded this year was far less wearing to the temper and spirits the date of her homecoming was fixed for the fifth of august and an escort was unexpectedly found in the person of Mr. Bennet, who had made one of his sudden resolves to go and stay with his two daughters, Mrs. Bennet having the prospect of her sister Mrs. Phillips' companionship throughout the month. Georgina was enchanted when this decision was conveyed to her, as it ensured that no postponements of the journey would be made upon any pretext. Mr. Bennet had proposed visiting his daughters and bringing back Kitty, and the first part of his suggestion was warmly welcomed, the second they could not promise to accede to. But Mr. Bennet would be conferring a signal service if he would meet Miss Darcy in London and bring her home. Mr. Bennet declared himself quite agreeable. Let Miss Darcy name her own day for starting, and it should be his. But once named, it must be considered fixed for Mr. Bennet, it must be noted, had a wife and five daughters, and knew something of the variability of the female mind. He had, however, never been less danger of a change of plans than on this occasion. Elizabeth had received the first intimation of her father's intended visit shortly after dispatching to Georgina the letter which has been mentioned, and having now so many matters to talk over with Jane, she determined on going to Dalesborough without delay. An hour or two's chat would not be sufficient, and she therefore arranged to stay for a night and return the following afternoon, and pressed Darcy to accompany her. But this he declined to do, telling her that he should only be in the way when she, Jane, and Kitty were putting their heads together for a feminine conclave, and Bingley was as bad as the rest. It happened that Jane was alone with when she arrived, Bingley being out riding with Kitty and Mr. Morland, but he was not long in returning, and when Kitty had greeted her sister and retired to change her dress, he joined the conference, as Darcy had foretold. "'Well, Elizabeth,' he began, "'and how do you find Kitty?' 
I never saw her in better looks. And has Jane told you about my young friend in London, who it appears is an admirer of hers? I declare, I had not an idea of it when I asked him to come down, but it turns out very well as it happens. Elizabeth admitted herself informed, and asked Bingley for particulars of Mr. Price's character, appearance and manners, of which it was to be presumed he could give a more reasonable account than Kitty. He spoke warmly in the young man's praise, and mentioned what he had heard of his family and connections from Mr. Yates. "'It seems most satisfactory,' said Elizabeth, "'and his being a friend of the Wentworths is a further recommendation. I am quite looking forward to meeting him. Though time alone will show if there is anything in it. Kitty has set her heart on it to such an extent that I feel extremely anxious that she may have no disappointment, said Jane, with tenderness. It would be enough to make her ill. Her sensibilities are so acute. One can see how she watches for the letters from Mr. from Mrs. Knightley, and the eagerness with which she reads them. Whatever Mrs. Knightley may do, said Elizabeth, in my opinion we should not be acting wisely by Kitty in encouraging her to talk and think much about it. On the young man's side it has not gone beyond a promising inclination, I infer, and it may never be more. You are a prudent creature, Elizabeth, exclaimed her brother-in-law. But as regards Kitty, your precautions are too late, as I know to my cost. There was I thinking I was bringing down the very girl for Morland to fall in love with, indeed. I had almost told him so, and now it appears she is more than half engaged to someone else. And what good is that to a man who wants a wife to establish in that big house of his? Well, said Elizabeth, laughing, you need not reproach yourself, Charles. A house and living were promised to Mr. Morland, but a wife, I believe, was not in the bond. It would have been very pleasant to have provided him with one, nevertheless, returned Bingley. As it is, they see a great deal of each other, and are such excellent friends, that if it were not all such a profound secret it would be incumbent on me to give him a hint of the state of things. Elizabeth looked at her sister for confirmation of this, and Jane replied, yes, they are good friends. Kitty seems to enjoy his companionship, and he has evidently a strong liking for her so that I sometimes feel afraid lest it should develop into anything likely to cause him pain hereafter. But of course, as I have repeatedly told Bingley, even if in view of such a contingency we have no right to betray our knowledge of Kitty's private hopes. As Mr. Morland dined at Desborough, Elizabeth had an opportunity of observing the young people, and she thought she had seldom seen Kitty to greater advantage. Her particularly delicate beauty was heightened partly by excitement and partly by the healthful country life. She was at perfect ease, happy with her sisters and Mr. Bingley, and treating Mr. Morland much as she would have treated an elderly friend of the family, not as a man to be captivated. The feeling of frank good-fellowship which he seemed to inspire was a simple and wholesome one and elizabeth tried to rest assured that mr morland was aware of kitty's attitude towards him and wished for nothing more that indeed was the impression he gave but the longer she was with him the more clearly she perceived that now his circumstances were more settled a quiet contentment an evenness of temper had become habitual to him without taking away the 
earnestness, the steadfastness of purpose, which underlay the whole. She felt that she did not yet thoroughly know Mr. Morland, and the following morning, in the course of a brief talk with Kitty, she suggested to her in the gentlest possible way of the desirability of not allowing so excellent a young man, who was also solitary, one, to entertain thoughts of her which might be so much more easily admitted to his mind than expelled from it. Kitty had just been giving wings to her imagination in a description of Mr. Price, which Elizabeth had felt herself hard-hearted to be obliged to check, and the young girl with difficulty came down to earth again to Mr. Morland, to assure Elizabeth, with all haste of indifference, that she was positive that Morland did not think of her in that way. He only cared for his parish and his house, and as for his being solitary, why his sister Sarah was coming to live with him. Elizabeth was compelled to be content and in addition she secured a promise from Jane that Kitty should come to Pemberley about the middle of September. Kitty was delighted with the arrangement, so long as there was one which secured her return to Desborough for the shooting party early in November. Her eldest sister exhibited an almost equal amount of eagerness on her behalf to settle this important matter, and Kitty, who had been living in terror lest some cruel fate should intervene to send her back to Longbourn before that time, breathed more freely when her sisters undertook to obtain her father's consent to such a long absence. Mr. Bennet and Georgina duly arrived at Pemberley, and were welcomed with all the warmth that affection could show. They had been a curiously assorted pair of travelling companions, and the relations had speculated with amusement upon their chances of congeniality. Neither being talkers, they had at least had that in common, though after their arrival Georgina smilingly reproached Mr. Bennet with having intently studied a, a book of Latin poetry throughout the whole journey, and Mr. Bennet gravely apologized for not having selected a volume more suitable for reading aloud. He was sorry he had not been at more pains to while away the time for a young lady who was exceedingly punctual, and always ready when the carriage came round. For his own part, he declared that he felt himself becoming more conversational with every mile of the way, in proof of which he twice voluntarily told Elizabeth during the first hour that he was glad to see her again, and announced that after his own library there was no place he would sooner be in than Mr. Darcy's. The first evening was a cheerful one. There was so much to say, so many friends to inquire after, adventures to relate, and plans to detail. The children were brought in, and according to the time-honoured custom everywhere, were pronounced to have grown, though it is to be feared that Mr. Bennet was not an ideal grandparent, for he so far miscalculated as to bring them toys which they could not properly appreciate for some years at least. And Elizabeth wanted to hear of little William and Elizabeth Collins, with whom Georgina had often played at Hunsford Parsonage, and who were described as being strikingly like their father and mother respectively. It was not until the following day, when the sisters were alone together, that any words passed between them concerning Colonel Fitzwilliam. Elizabeth showed Georgina a few brief lines she had received from him, stating little more than the bare facts of his departure and its cause. She's engaged, and it's all over for me now. 
At all events, I know the worst, he wrote. Do not be too compassionate for me, Elizabeth. I have been a fool to think that anything so bright and lovely should become mine. Yet I did not think she would bestow herself where she has. I was a laggard, I suppose, and I threw my chance away in Bath. And how could she wait until I had reinstated myself? No, my dream is over. You will hear of her engagements, no doubt, and I beg you to tell her that I join with you in wishes for her happiness. I shall be with you at Pemberley before long. Georgina is an angel. I did not deserve from her one quarter of the kindness she showed me. In a postscript he added, Will Darcy trust me to choose him a horse? I have seen a beautiful pair of bays that would suit your large carriage, besides a perfect chestnut hunter. Georgina sighed and smiled over the letter, and Elizabeth said, Yes, he evidently does not wish us to think he is overwhelmed by it, though from what he does not say I can realize the depth of his feeling. It's incredible, for, of course, it must be Sir Walter Elliot. Sir Walter's was only a name to Georgina, a vague recollection from the last year at Bath, and she replied that she had heard of the engagement from another source without particulars. Elizabeth gave a vigorous description of him, and ended by saying that she should wait and see if the necessity for writing to Mr. Crawford rose, for she did not feel much disposed to congratulate her. Kitty's affairs were, of course, passed under review, and Elizabeth was somewhat surprised to find that Georgina was a staunch uphold of the notion that William Price was likely to make her an offer. As she had fancied, that the accounts might have been exaggerated, and that Georgina would be the one to take a sober and dispassionate view, but her asservations of her belief that Mr. Price's truth and steadiness, and in Kitty's being unlikely to have deceived herself in this case, went farther to convince Elizabeth than anything she had heard before. The next few weeks passed in tranquil enjoyment for all the persons in Pemberley Circle, in which must be comprised the party from Desborough, as no plan of any importance could be carried through without the joining of forces and the inclusion of Mr. Morland on one side and the affairs from Pemberley Rectory on the other. The Bingleys with the two young people frequently drove over to spend a day or two days, and when Mr. Bennet removed to Desborough towards the end of August, it was not felt to be so much of break-up as a changing of the scene of their activities, boating expeditions, ride over the moors, blackberry gatherings, or evenings spent quietly at home in games or music. Something could always be found to suit the taste of party of people who were bent on finding pleasure in each other's company. Even Kitty felt that only one thing was wanting to fill her cup of happiness to the brim, for her father had sanctioned her staying on until November, the month she hoped which would see its overflow. For one person, however, this peaceful time was about to end in pain and disappointment. Mrs. Bingley and her sister were sitting indoors together one morning in the middle of September, when Mr. Morland was observed approaching the house. He was such a frequent caller that it had become a habit with him to walk straight in, and the ladies, after waiting for some time, wondered at his non-appearance, and still more at the intelligence brought by a servant, in answer to Jane's summons, 
that Mr. Morland has asked only for Mr. Bennet, and had been shown into the library. "'What can he want with my father?' said Jane, a suspicion of the truth shooting across her mind and checking her utterance. As she glanced anxiously at her sister, but no such idea seemed to have occurred to Kitty when innocently conjectured that interview to be a literacy conference or discussion that had arisen out of Mr. Morland's ceremony-making. Mr. Bennet, on perceiving his visitor, might have anticipated something of the kind. But Mr. Morland's first words corrected him. The young man's errand was indeed nothing more or less than to make a formal proposal for the hand of Mr. Bennet's daughter, and to request permission to address her. He was nervous, as men in his situation are apt to be. But genuine feeling and sound sense enabled him to state his case well, if not very fluently. As he represented the strength of his attachment and described his worthy position and prospects. Mr. Bennet had long ceased to be surprised at receiving applications of the kind, however unexpected they might be, and certainly this one found him quite unprepared. What little thought he had given to the subject had certainly not led him to the supposition of Mr. Morland's becoming his son-in-law, and he endeavoured to make his answer a discouraging one. "'My daughter will be much honoured by your high opinion of her, Mr. Morland,' and I have no reason to think ill of your pretensions. But I must admit that I have not remarked on her part any strong prepossession in your favour. It's one of the things I have found most charming in Miss Bennet's character, sir, replied Morland, that she would not easily give her heart away or readily suppose a man to be enslaved by her. No one else could have failed to perceive the depth of my admiration." but she has seemed quite unconscious of it, though at the same time I am fully aware that there is no brilliancy or distinction about me, nothing to attract anyone who herself possesses a full measure of those qualities. He looked so downcast that Mr. Bennet remarked, If that were the question, Mr. Morland, you might set your mind at rest. For my daughter, though a very good girl, is not brilliant, nor would she be comfortable with a husband of that description. This observation inspired Mr. Morland to a fairly long speech, in which he extolled Kitty's amiable qualities and dwelt on his own demerits. But notwithstanding the contrast thereby presented, he was able to deduce a number of excellent reasons for his being allowed to propose to Miss Bennet without delay. Mr. Bennet heard him in silence, and at the end replied that, though flattered by Mr. Morland's first referring to him, who was merely the father of the young lady, he could not answer for his daughter's sentiments. He had found that in these matters his girls had always made up their own minds, and no doubt would continue to do so. Indeed, yes, it is with Miss Bennet that I must plead my own cause. But you will not refuse me your sanction, said the young man eagerly. You think so far favourably of my suit that you will place no bar in the way of my... I trust... I meantime say our perfect happiness. No, Mr. Morland. The way to your perfect happiness is open as far as I am concerned, replied Mr. Bennet, taking up a book. Morland's satisfaction at having the father even passively on his side was very great, and he spoke his gratitude very warmly. 
mingling with it such praises of Kitty, and such rosy prognostications of the future, as caused Mr. Bennet to reply in characteristic fashion. Let me know when the time comes to wish you joy, Mr. Morland, and I will do it. But life is so uncertain that I think for the present I had better refrain. Have you ascertained whether Kitty can cook, make her own gowns, and trim hats? I understand it is a great promoter of married happiness when the wife can do so, and I am not sure whether all my girls have turned their education to such good account. Mr. Morland only replied by asking if he might be allowed to see Miss Bennet at once, and her father left the room foreseeing that whatever happened he should not have one more quiet hour during that day. His anticipations were soon in the way to be fulfilled, for on finding his daughters and sending Kitty to the library, he had to give Jane an outline of what had just passed, then repeated to Bingley, who joined them, and listened to their exclamations of surprise, and regret at the probable downfall of Mr. Morland's hopes. Jane and Bingley were both too convinced of Kitty's prior attachment to have the slightest expectations of his success, and Mr. Bennet was put in full possession of the facts related to it, while they anxiously awaited the termination of the interview. It came after some minutes, in a glimpse of Kitty emerging from the library, and hurrying upstairs with streaming eyes, and while they all debated to their next move, Mr. Morland was seen to cross the hall rapidly, looking nowhere but in front of him, and leave the house with precipitation. Jane herself almost equally distressed, longed to go to Kitty, and Bingley questioned whether he ought not to hasten after the young man while Mr. Bennet was disposed to think they would be better left to themselves for a time, and wished heartily that there were only just enough lovers in the world to go round, one to each young lady and none over. In spite of this, Jane was not long in finding her way to her agitated sister, and in showing her the tenderest consideration. Kitty's distress was very great, and also very sincere for she had in truth been far from guessing that Mr. Morland took a more than common interest in her, and as is usual in such cases, the declaration of the young man's love woke in her feelings which she had not known to exist, of reciprocal kindness and even affection, which only did not share the nature and strength of his. Kitty could never have been hard-hearted to any lover, least of all to one whom she liked as much as she did James Morland, and his devotion touched her as deeply as the knowledge that she could not accept it wounded her. Between regrets for what had happened, pity for him and for herself, and the excited thoughts of William Price, which the incident itself was bound to evoke, she was in a sad state and Jane easily prevailed upon her to have her dinners upstairs and go early to bed. Not so easily could she check the tears which flowed continuously, and Jane, to occupy her mind and body, proposed that she should go to-morrow to Pemberley instead of in three days' time. As arranged, she could very well be sent over, and the change would be beneficial. Besides, she was not really leaving them, for there was the November visit to look forward to. Kitty caught at the suggestion, and declining the offices of the maid, began to busy herself about her packing, as Jane hoped she would do, while the latter descended to consult with her husband and father. Mr. Bennet and Bingley both approved, 
and Jane hastily wrote few lines to Elizabeth to apprise her of what had happened, that she might be prepared for Kitty's arrival. The two gentlemen walked to the nearest post-town to convey the letter, and after dinner the indefatigable Bingley again set out, this time to the rectory to perform the same kind office by James Morland as his wife had been doing by Kitty. The young man, though calmer, proved far more unreceptive of consolation. He had felt his rebuff acutely, for Kitty had been too much taken by surprise, too sure of herself, to make it otherwise than decisive. And even the modest hopes he had ventured to entertain, of being able to make more progress with her once the subject was opened between them, had been most thoroughly dispelled. Miss Bennet would not hear another word of it, begged him never to speak of it again, with tears reproached him for having spoiled everything, so that in addition to his own disappointment he had the pain of feeling that she thought less well of him than before. Binkley could deny this, but could not affirm anything else likely to give him comfort. It remained for Moorland himself to declare, which he did, in a firm, though melancholy tone, that he regretted having distressed Miss Bennet, and would endeavour so to meet her in the future that she would not suffer through being reminded of it by act of word of his. Bingley commended his courage, told him of Kitty's departure, and begged him to continue coming to Desborough just the same, and walked home with a full report of what had just passed. Jane shook her head over it, for while sympathizing with both, she was more truly sorry for Mr. Morland, since for him she could see no immediate prospect of compensation, in spite of her father's assurance that a young clergyman was seldom allowed to remain unconsolable for more than six months. And if Kitty's other young man only did what was expected of him, her fate would be certainly in half that time. End of chapter 12 Recording by Zainab Dubai.